0: Yeah, you guys are just saying words. You're not giving me content. I want content. What have we been talking about? Future. That's good. And right now, too. We're gonna look at the future here tonight some more. But and uh so, what about the cosmos? What am I trying to say about the cosmos? What do I think Scripture is trying to tell us? Um. No, that's not true, ma'am. Thank you. Okay, I guys, I gotta tell you guys something about Linda. She now that she left, so um, so we were laying in bed the other day, and it's early in the morning. Linda gets up very early. She's like five, five thirty max. If she sleeps till six, that's way late for her. She'll even tell me every now, and then, like on a Saturday morning or something, I'm just gonna sleep late today. I'm gonna sleep crazy late, and she's still up at six forty-five. She can't help it. So, so um. She's laying there, and, um, and another thing with her is two things about her sleeping is when she goes to bed at night, and she puts her head on the pillow, she's out immediately, boom. I mean, you, you be- she better not even be in the middle of a sentence. She's out. And then when she wakes up, she's wide awake, and she's up, she's up and going. She doesn't lay there and, you know, something like hitting the snooze. First, she doesn't use alarm clocks, but hitting the snooze is not in existence for her. So, so when she wakes up, she gets up. And I was awake, I was laying there, and I, she was asleep, and, and she woke up. And I can tell when she wakes up, her breathing changes, you know, she moves over, something rolls or something like that. And I could tell she woke up, and she, she started to get out of bed, and she stopped. And I said, what are you doing? She said, it's really cold out there. And I said, and? She said, I'm waiting for a hot flash. <laughs> 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 she laid there about four minutes, she goes, whoo! Through the blanket, she got there. It is there. It is, and she got up, wandered around the room. It was no longer. It was no longer colder. Okay. Like a little built-in heater. I wanted to go hug her and walk to the bathroom. You know, kind of as my. But it doesn't work though. It's not exothermic. It's endothermic. So, so it doesn't help me. Only thing I know is when she's having a hot flash at night, she starts sweating. So if she's sweating, and I'm kind of chilly. I know something's. She's not right. So. All right, Revelation twenty-one. So what we're talking about the cosmos. What are we talking about? Tom That is, that is not anywhere close to what I was doing. But, but hold on a second. But you're right, Tom. I haven't thought about it like that. What I was saying is that, that God loves his cosmos, his creation. But what you're saying is actually very true. I've never processed it that way. You've heard me say this differently, but in this context, I've never applied it. Although I say it all the time, I've never applied it to this. That God so loved his cosmos in, re, in the relationship to how God is... He loves his perfect creation completely, and his perfect creation is, is humongous, transcendent, amazing. And, and that's why Jesus Christ came to die. But how you relate to it, yes, that is all correct and true. I've never processed it that way. But how you relate to it is going to be always limited to, um, to how big you see him. When he, when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, he wasn't sending Jesus to die on the cross for how big you think he is. He was sending Jesus down on the cross for how big he really is. But whether you whether you extrapolate that or not, or whether you personally apply that a lot, it's always going to be directly related to how big you think he is and how big you think his cosmos is. I believe directs your prayers and your your ideas and and uh, how you live on this earth and and uh, w- when you see th- this is one of the things I think we just do as Christians is we read the Bible and and specifically is now this is not a negative, okay. But if you grew up in church, it's a good thing, and it's good to have the stories. But I know from growing up in church, one of the things that happened to me is a lot of the stories that I heard as a kid, I've locked them into that. And I have to, I have to you know, like shake my mind, spirit up to see the story bigger than what I saw when I was like six, something like that. Um, a bunch of stories, like, well, like David and Goliath. For years and years, even as an adult, I'm seeing David and Goliath, and in my head, I'm still seeing the flannel graph of David standing there with it with the sword and his, his foot's on Goliath, you know, and that kind of thing. And so, for, so the story was actually like this big in my head, and, and, and the story's actually humongous. And so I had to kind of retrain the way I thought in my limitations. And, and, and God's cosmos is the same way. His cosmos is not limited to us. His perfect creation is not limited to us. But the way we see ourselves in the middle of this thing is always going to be limited to us. It is, and that's why I think we should pray constantly. God, give me bigger horizons. Let me think bigger. You know, help me to help me to see you. Help me to, and then also that's why we do things and go places. And one of the people for me uh, is Louis Giglio. He helps me see bigger. Um, he helps me see things way bigger than I see them sometimes. I've got a couple of pictures on my phone. In fact, one of them's a background for my phone. That all through the year I'll put it on. I'll put a different background. I'll put this back on. And it's and I've shown the picture in here a couple different times over the years, the um, this this huge nebula, and it's and it's one of the bigger ones that we have a picture of, that I, I've talked about this before that that the the, the trail, uh, the nebula and the trail after this uh, star is is being formed and all this, the the trail alone of the star is like seven trillion miles long, just the the trail after it, what we would call the afterglow, okay. Um, I, I had a problem using that word for a long time because to me that meant you were going to get cake and cookies after church. But the, the afterglow, well, you guys ever heard that? Am I, am I the only one in here that, okay, all right. So this thing is seven trillion miles. It doesn't include the size of the star. The picture I have, the star is way up here, and it's just all this stuff coming after it. And uh, to me that's amazing. And God's doing that. Again, let me throw this out here too. I know I say this every now and then, but this is a good place to put this. Um, After the sixth day, God said it is good, and then he did what? He rested on which day? Seventh day. On the eighth day, what did he start doing? And no, he didn't make the Broncos and all that stuff, but... What did God do on the eighth day? This is something we never process. The Scripture shows us. It doesn't say on the eighth day, but Scripture shows us. He 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 does all that somewhere. I don't think it was like specifically the eighth day, but in that process, and that's a good all of that time frame that that time. In fact, I was actually making some notes about that time frame the other day. I want to. I want to. She got me on a different trail, so I want to take this trail just for a second. I want to get back to the eighth day. Okay. Um. How long, how long were Adam and Eve in the garden um, between the seventh day and um, Eve eating the fruit? It doesn't say. It does tell us things, though. Here's some, here's some things we can say. We cannot say exactly the amount of time. But there's some information. Think about some of the information that's said there that we know tells us some things. Anything? I don't want to. I don't want to just give this away. I want you to process, Marcus. Yeah, name all the animals. That had taken a little bit of while, right? It doesn't. We don't know how long. I doubt he just, you know, got them all out there and then God's like, yes, go. That was 14 minutes. You know, I don't think it was that kind of thing. Um, part of the reason is because he had to kind of look at them, check them out, and and I don't think they're all standing in attention in front of him. So he had to go find them, go to places. I don't. I don't mean like go from you know Africa to. Uh, Europe, you know, you know, and I'll mention that something about that in a second too, but he, he, he went and found each of the animals, and then this is, my, this is my way of looking at it, is he assesses the animal and comes up with a word that he believes um, accomplishes the verbalization of the look of that animal. You understand what I'm saying? There's a name for that kind of word, a word that sounds like what it's describing. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's a, the verbalization of the word actually gives us the sound that we, we know cognitively go with that word. There's a term for that. Yes, I believe that's right. Yes. You didn't just make that up, right? No, I'm kidding. So so, that, that, so I think that's part of what um, Adam was doing, was he was an onomatian. <laughs> so <laughs> that was Carrie's fault. So uh so Mike. Okay. Um, so what happens there? Uh let me unpack this for us a little bit you've got to read it all together, okay? When you read down through it and it gets to the seventh day and it says he rested, then it goes back and begins to describe some of the things that he's doing in those first six days. It unpacks it, okay? So just reading it straight through and saying on the seventh day and then I assume that, that's not what I'm talking about. That that stuff that comes after is a re-explanation of all of those different things that happen in the first, in the creation account, okay? So, um, So he says... Well, let's go back to time frame. Let's not go back to the eighth day. Let's stay with what Rosemary was saying. So what's another thing that God, what did you say? Okay, he walked with Adam. And, but it says he came and walked with, this is after they sinned, he walked with Adam and Eve as, what does it say? He came, he, he came to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. Nicole in the of the evening, as he always did. That was usual, or that was what he did, okay, which lets us know time again, doesn't it? That's a time thing. It wasn't like he came to walk with Adam and Eve for the very first time, it as he did. This was something that was normal. So now we've got two things that give us time. Adam is, uh, has, is naming all the animals, and also what Mike said is actually part of a timing thing, tilling the ground and doing things. There was a there was apparently a lot of work. There's no way when you read some of these things there's no way you can come up with anything less than months and months and months or years. Okay? Even the idea of tilling the ground and taking that means there has to be some kind of growth cycle involved, right? Doing something. Yeah. Now, that says that in 2nd Peter. I don't like to use that. Most people will use that scripture to describe timings and things like that in Scripture. In other words, what they're saying is they go to that Scripture in Second Peter and say, that means for God, uh, every day is a thousand years for us. That's not what it's saying. It does say that, but what it says is, to God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Okay? If it just said a day is like a thousand years and stopped, you might almost could say that's some kind of quantitative uh, something. But the fact that then it turns it back around tells us that he's not giving us a, a, um, a formula or a quantity. What he's saying is time is irrelevant to God. Okay, we have to be careful of this. One of the reasons is because uh, back in the day, Jimmy Swaggart used that scripture to say that each of the days of the creation was a thousand years long. I don't think that's what he's saying. That scripture, remember the verses right after that scripture is saying, and this is that the Lord is being patient with us. So that no one will perish. What, what that scripture is about is not about timing or quantity of time. It's about God's patience and that time is not the same to God as it is to us. That's what he's saying. So you, so you have to be careful that you don't, you don't kind of extrapolate that too much. Okay, back into that. All right? Um, because I do believe, I've said this before, and I know that there's, there's major groups of Christianity that do not believe this. That's okay. They can believe it they want, but this, I really do believe this. God establishes in that first six days of creation a 24-hour day cycle, and he stays pretty consistent with that. And it's the same terminology of day that he uses there that he uses later in Scripture. So I very strongly believe that the, the, the six days of creation are literal 24-hour days. The only one that theoretically wouldn't be is the one before he creates the time cycle. All right. Once he starts using the word day, and he separates the night from the day and calls it a day, once he does that, those are days, 24-hour days after that. Okay. Now, so now we've got um, uh, God can walk in the garden, and apparently this shows time that happened. There was tilling and, and doing all this kind of stuff. There was taking care of the garden. There was tending the garden. There was naming the animals. All these different kind of things that are happening, and all of that happening was before what? Theoretically, before they picked the apple. What about tending the garden and naming the animals? That came specifically before what? Before Eve. Eve wasn't created yet. How was Eve created? From Adam, from his rib. And I've really been processing this quite a bit. I'm going to step out on a little bit of a limb here. I really do. The more I I look at this process, the more I do think this is right. But my, my caveat here, my disclaimer is, Give me the ability to change this later, okay? But I I do believe, so God creates Adam in his image, correct? And then he takes Eve from him, pulls Eve from him. I think that Adam had all the qualities, not physical, but all of the qualities, spiritual emotion, everything of male and female. And I believe that when he pulls the rib out of Adam remember me talking about this a few weeks ago? It's like the bee-stinger. He pulls a big chunk of something out, and that's the, all the female. <laughs> like a. And, um, and then Adam doesn't die, he lives greater than ever. So uh, <clears throat> pulls all that is pulls all that is uh, woman out. I, I don't know exactly how that works, but we do know this. Adam and Eve both are created in God's image, and God created Adam perfectly in his image first, and then he pulls Eve from him. So wouldn't it stand a reason that Adam was all of it at the beginning? And then when Eve comes out, that he that she is, she gets this part and he retains this part? That's just something to, to mill around, okay? Because he was created perfect in the first place. So does that mean God only created half at first? Which theoretically works too. I get that. It doesn't except that he said he created Adam in his image. See, what I think he did, created Adam in his image, pulls Eve out, and now there's two halves that are the the one. Now, the reason I think that is actually greatly because of the marriage context. When we get married, we are now one. Let me say this extra word again. You you see what I'm saying? Now, I know I'm kind of... Stretching a little bit there. And if, if you're saying, I don't know, I'm not sure about that, I get that. And, and, I, and I'm not totally convinced yet. But if Adam is whole, pulls Eve out, now they're, they're halves. When you get married, you're whole again. Okay? Now, here's another side. And this is one of the things I do in the marriage series that, get, that helps you to think about this. And specifically helps men and women that are trying to, to navigate this thing called marriage to think about this. Is, again... Um, God takes the rib. Now, the, the normal way that I've heard this for years is he didn't take a bone out of the head because he didn't want Eve to domineer over Adam. He didn't take a bone from the foot because he didn't want Adam to walk on Eve. He takes a, a, a rib so that they're side by side. But to me, that's not enough. Another process with this is the fact that the rib surrounds all of the vital organs and specifically the heart, and when we're talking about our soul or our heart or our existence, we always talk about it being in here. We don't say, my heart, you know, it's, it's in here, okay? So then I believe the concept of marriage is built upon intimacy. Sexuality is one of the aspects of intimacy. In today's society, we've made sexuality the focus, and it's not the focus. It's one of the aspects of intimacy, Um. Really, really close friends and family members can have deep levels of intimacy that do not include any kind of sexuality, right? Married couples get the added context of sexuality to develop the intimacy. Uh, But the the concept of intimacy for me is God takes a rib, creates Adam, and basically uh, creates Eve. Eve spends the rest of womanhood, spends the rest of existence, Trying to get back in there and protect the heart to the the word into me see that's that 's linda 's um, existence at some level is she 's trying to get back into here and see what 's going on in here, which is part of the struggle that guys have because we got enough ribs <laughs> stay away so <clears throat> So she's trying to get back in there and see, the in, into me see, try to get to intimacy back in there, and that's the concept of this. Now, if you think about it, if you want to do a mental picture, and, and this is for the marriage series, I don't have time to go over all this tonight, but how are, how male and female eyes work, how depth perception works, how all these different things, I talk about that in the marriage series, but one of the things is the concept of when you look at a man and a woman in, in some kind of um, connected, intimate embrace, the woman is wrapped up. This is the mental picture I see with her, her head in his chest and she's looking into here and he's embracing her, looking out, protecting. He's making sure that because to him, getting have that intimacy inside, getting into her soul and spirit is not a, a priority to guys like it is to women. It's different. Right? This is this is um this is some of the basic gender stuff that we left behind way years ago and we we've been revisiting the last couple decades is that there really is differences. And some of these differences between men and women is that, that, that even the concept of intimacy, how, how women look at sexuality, even how sexuality affects men and women different physically and physiologically, all speaks to this. And I do not want to go into that right now tonight, but it all speaks to this, okay? The, the connection, the emotionalism, the intimacy, how we look at intimacy, emotional, how we look at protection, how we look at uh, romance, all these different kind of things. And, and to me, it's all kind of this same thing. Alright? Now, a little side note for all of this. So, So with that, we see that there's time. We see that there's a lot of time between um, God resting on the seventh day and Eve eating the fruit. There's time. There's a lot of time. Right? I, I personally believe that when we look later and it says that, um, that um, Adam lived this many years. It was like 960 years or something like that, I don't remember. But it says, Adam lived this long. I believe that didn't start until they were kicked out of the garden. Okay? If you believe differently, that's fine. This is not a big, big enough theological thing. But I don't believe that it started till then. Why do you think I think that? Why do you think I think it started on the day they got kicked out of the garden? Yes? They began to die. Before that, they weren't living a certain amount of time. They were alive. Those are two different mentalities. When we look at Adam and Eve, they were alive. They weren't living with the context of dying someday. They were just alive, and they were going to live forever. They began dying the day God kicked them out of the garden, and from that day, it was 960 years till Adam died. So I, I think that, um, that they, they um, lived for a long time in the garden, potentially hundreds of years. Uh, maybe a thousand or two, but I don't think it's much older than that. And I base that upon other things. Um, I've talked to you guys about the age of the sun and the sun getting smaller and some of that stuff. Uh, the age of the sun tells us about how old that the Earth is, and it's about ten thousand years. It's not hundreds of millions or billions or trillions of years, like science says. It can't be. It can't be, because for the sun to sustain life on this planet, if you back up. Um, a million years, the sun would have had to have been 20, 30 times larger than it is now to have burned down to this size in that amount of time. The sun is burning up. It's not constant. It's not the same size. So it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Think how big it would have been a trillion years ago or a million years ago. We wouldn't have had our, it would have burned the planet up. Mercury wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist at all. What's that other one between us and Mercury? Mars it wouldn't exist. It would have burnt up. That lets us know that the earth is about 10,000 years old. So when we look at time frames from Adam till now, we've got a couple thousand years leeway there. And I think that's somewhere in there is about how long Adam and Eve were on the planet. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, and think about this. Think about the capacity of Adam to process all that, remember it, and to put that forth. Now, years ago, we used to say that we're using about 10% of our brain capacity, and science say up to maybe 15 to 20%. And I don't believe that. I think we're using, and science is beginning to show us now, we're actually using a lot more of our brain than that 10 to 20%. But we're still not maxing out capacity-wise of what our brain has a capability of accomplishing. Right? So, and I think Adam did. It would have been fun to sit around and talk to Adam, or just watch him interact with an animal and then name it. Wouldn't you like to know what Adam named him instead of what we have names of today? All these big names like um, with the species and all this kind of stuff all put together to make, you know, the, the Plegosaurus or whatever. I would like to know what Adam named him. Someday we will when we get to heaven. Well, and, and, I, and this is what I think. I'm basing this completely on supposition. This is what I think. We get to heaven, and we, immediately we know all the names that Adam gave the animals. We're going to go, those were way better names. Those were way better. So, okay, so now let's go back to the eighth day. It's, it's kind of a trick question. What did God do on the eighth day? Creates, day one, two, three, four, five, six. He rests on day seven. What's he do on day eight? No, he makes Adam, I forget which day. We just talked about that, six, yeah. Um, Okay, I'll just tell you, because I don't think you're going to get it the way I'm saying it. I I actually already kind of mentioned this. I mentioned the picture that I have of this star that was being coming into existence and then this big uh, nebula, this big trail after it. Um, That star is way younger than our sun. All right? not bazillions of years old. It's just younger than our son. There are stars right now that we see come into existence right now. See, I, I strongly believe that on the eighth day, God started creating again. I think he just rested to show us, and it was a Sabbath mentality, and you should rest, and it also gave the pause that now this is when we, let's do this, let's live life. But I think God is still creating today. I think start day eight, day nine, day 3,028. He's still creating. He's always creating. Okay? Out in the the universe is the easiest way to see the bigger picture of this because he's creating things. We see stars come into existence or stuff like that, and and we see that mentality. What's what's some other things that God creates? He's been creating since day one of eight. Mountains? Sure. Sure. Shifts and tectonic plates and all that kind of stuff boom you've got stuff that raise up and grow and and collapse and all kind of stuff okay new species now i don 't know if necessarily he, if he's creating more but he's doing something there he's doing something okay, and we're getting closer to where i'm I'm trying to get with this since day eight. God has been doing something and he's never stopped, and I believe that it is in the bigger picture, not necessarily creating new animals or species, but that is true. But he's been creating life. And he's been doing that since the beginning. And he's still doing it today. Every time a baby is conceived, God breathed life into that baby. That baby isn't didn't just a product of a mommy and a daddy loving each other. okay. There is more to it than that. God has to breathe his spirit into that human being. Now, I believe that he does this in such a way with Adam, he did it like in a physical way and it was the very first and those lungs expanded for the first time kind of thing and Adam takes on life. And I believe that God has built it into the system now to be a, a passive thing, but it's still the spirit of life that is entered into a human being. And the same way with animals and everything else, it's just not a, um, a self-realized human life, but animals have life too. God is creating. But here's the cool thing about this is that we're creating with God. We're co-creating. I love that as much as any concept that's that's talked about in the Bible is that we are co-creating with God. And we can go back to the time in scripture where they're going to build a temple and God begins to say, "And this person was giving gifts to accomplish this type of building. This guy was given gifts to work with metal. This guy was given gifts to work with wood and all that kind of stuff. God specifically came to somebody and said, I'm going to give you the ability to be a carpenter and you're going to see things differently than other people do. Right? Have you ever seen a very gifted carpenter and realized this is a gift? This isn't just normal. Not just anybody can do that stuff. I can prove that to you all the time. It's, it's, it is a gift and I don't have it. That certain people can do certain things and, and God gives them that ability to create. I believe what we just did here in worship is a co-creation with God. There is already music. okay? There is already music and somebody else wrote those songs that we did tonight. But while we were doing those, us up here and you out there were creating something new. We were in the process of co-creating with God. We were giving a sacrifice of praise to Him. We were musically creating something with our voices, with musical instruments, and there is something to that. There is is something that you can tell that is there, that wasn't there before. You can't feel it, you can't see it, you can't touch it kind of thing, but you can tell when music is happening that something is there that was not there before, right? You understand what I'm saying? music has life to it. There's something in it. There's, there's, there's spirituality involved. <clears throat> That's why I think it's, we have to be careful what we do with music and what messages we let get into our soul and our spirit through the, through the spiritual thing that is music. I think music is spiritual regardless of whether you're letting it be for God or not. It is spiritual. That's why if... if Satan loves to get on that that surfboard and ride that into our lives and souls because we open up our spirits to that spiritualness that is music. And we were creating, we were co-creating with God while we're doing this. You're singing, I'm singing, we're playing instruments, and we're co-creating with God. And I believe that this stuff is happening all the time, Tom. Yeah, it's never, it's never exactly the same. Um, now, recorded music is the same, but think about this. The way it affects other people is never exactly the same. Right? I mean, this is just one example, but, but it's a creating thing all the time. God is doing this with us all the time. That's why when he gives us gifts and abilities, we are, we are to use those to co-create with him. All right? Now, now let's come back to this John 3.16 mentality of the cosmos. God is always creating this perfect order. When He is co-creating with us, it's the closest we're ever going to get to having this perfection or whatever. God is still perfect, but He's cooperating with human beings that are not perfect. We are, we are tainted by sin. We're, we're messed up by this, but that's why when we really click in and it, and it goes well, whatever we're creating, whatever we're doing, and it goes well, there is a bigger-than-us thing that happens there. That's why stuff like art... Uh, and I, I would expand art to be a lot more than maybe the r- regular definition. But any, any kind of, well, any, I believe architecture is an art. I, I believe that that is something um, that, that, that transcends the person. You know, the, the Empire State Building, the people that built that aren't alive now. The guy that designed it's not alive now. But that's a, that's a testimony of God saying to somebody, hey, we can do something really big. You want to try this one? And they go, yeah, no, I mean really big. Yeah, no, I mean really really big. And then boom, Empire State Building. That had to have been created. It had to it was it was it was destined by God to be created because if not, what was King Kong going to climb up? Now, the idea of this co-createdness that we do with God. This is part of this cosmos mentality. That's why I think it's very important that, coming back to what Tom said, which which I think was good, it's not what I was saying, but I think he's hitting on something here. How we see God in this cosmos is very important in this subject, because it determines whether or not we really try to go down some of these roads, a big and grand and transcendent. Can I, as a limited human being, cooperate with a divine, supernatural God of the universe and create something? And and design something and build something. When you have a conversation, you're creating something that didn't exist before. There is process of stuff that's going on, from cognitive development that to produce this, to you know, even the idea of trying to produce a sentence structure and and things like that. Animals don't do this. This is something that comes from this spirit of God mentality. Animals try to communicate, and they, do, they can communicate. Okay, but not like we're, we we create something out of nothing and put that out there, and it actually carries something with it. There's, that, that's why Scripture is talking about our words have power to them and stuff, because it's, there's a creation aspect that goes along with us and God. Same concept like I was talking about a, an architect. And, and I think that's just as amazing, too. That an architect can sit down and there is nothing and all of a sudden there's something. That's, that's, I went to the, um, to the Guggenheim when I was in New York. That's what it's called, right? Am I saying the right word? Guggenheim. When I was in New York, that's a pretty amazing building. The building itself is pretty amazing. It's an it's a, uh, art museum, right? But the building is a work of art also. Right across the road, well, within a couple blocks of the Guggenheim is the um, the um, Metropolitan Museum, what people call the Met. Um, there are things in that building, there are works of art in that building that I, I, I love uh, painted art and sculpted art. I, I love that stuff. I think because it's so elusive to me, I, I can't. I can't do that kind of thing. And to see what people create, there's nothing. And all of a sudden, they create something. And, you know, 500 years later, we're still looking at this going, wow, that's awesome. That's pretty amazing. Music is the same way. There's a lot of music going on out there. And then every now and then, somebody creates something and you go, wow, that is amazing. Um, What's her name? Shelby and I were talking about uh, a song today. Well, I was telling her, she was listening to a Christmas album, and I said, that's my favorite Christmas album. It's Rust Half Christmas album. It's the best. I've never found a Christmas album that's as good. And I've got, every year, our family gets at least one new Christmas album. And, and I've never found a Christmas album, for me, that's as, as, uh, as awesome as Rust Half is. And she said something about somebody in our church that didn't know who Rust Half was. And she said, what about uh, the trumpet of Jesus? That's a, that's a never-will-go-bad song. It doesn't have a shelf life. Some songs have shelf lives, right? A couple years, and you're like, no, I'm done with that. And you never have to listen to it again. There are some songs that you have to go back and listen to. Uh, 1954, Ben Crosby, uh, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. Best Christmas song ever. But Bing has to sing it. If Bing don't sing it, I'm not interested. But, uh, I mean, there's certain things, you know, they, they define certain things and they stay. There is a life to them. That's a God thing. That's a bigger than us thing. That's this, that's this cosmos mentality. God has this perfection and then he allows us to come alongside this tiny little edge of this and do something amazing that for us is, is not perfect. It's kind of tainted or whatever the case is. It, it's not as amazing as if God did it, but it's way more amazing than just a human doing it. One of the examples for me is the uh, statue of David done by, um, yes, Michelangelo, Michelangelo. Uh, there's, that's, it's perfection with some broken appendages. But it's perfection. It's absolutely amazing. Those are the kind of things where you go, just a big chunk of, of uh, marble, and, and he sees something that is King David. Uh, th- those are just amazing things to me. Now, here's where it comes to us. I believe that God is trying this, this cosmos mentality. God, God really liked what He designed when He created the planet, when he created this universe, solar system, and when he created um, us. He really liked that. It It was fun for him. It was good. He says that. It's good. Here's what I think is our responsibility. You have to get to a point, and we all have to, where when you look in the mirror, you say, that's good. Now, in our society today, we really struggle with that idea. Because why? Well, we're told that's not being humble or whatever the case is. So, so was God not being humble when He creates creation and then looks at it and says, that's good, I've done well? Is that, can, is that God being not humble? He's the, he's the transcendent God of everything. It doesn't really matter whether He's humble or not. He's the everything. We're creating His image. There's nothing wrong with saying, I am a creation of God, I'm good. I'm good. God created me good. Does that mean I'm inherently spiritually good? No, sin has messed that up for us. Sin has has warped this thing. But when you look in the mirror, you've got to see something that God made and he really likes. And he likes the way that it is. Now, we always say things like that. You say, well, yeah, but I could lose a few pounds. That's I get all that and you know there's importance for being healthy and all that kind of stuff but do you really think God is sitting in heaven looking at you and saying wow they're fat? And I'm not okay with that. Do we do we really think that's what the way God looks at us? Think about what I'm saying. Those are those are social things. Those are those are things that we do. Is there a concept of gluttony? Of course there is. Is there a concept of having a healthy body? Sure there is. But I also think we can take that stuff so far that we miss the reality that we are not completely in charge of this thing. For example, what if you're too short or too tall? You can't change that. Well, I guess you can change the too tall. You can cut your legs off or something. I don't know. But you understand what I'm saying? We, we get so much caught up in this outwardness of we're creating God's image that we really miss the, the inner part of this, the essence of who we are, the realness of who we are, and we miss opportunities to do stuff with God and to interact with God and to, 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 to carry along this, this, um, this, this uh, knowledge and understanding of God to the world around us because we get caught up with all of the stuff that is not about the God of the world around us, that it's challenging for us to really represent God like we're supposed to. Like Paul said, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm on this planet to represent um, Jesus at all times. That is, that, that is, to me, the bigger picture. And this is why this subject that I've been talking about, about the cosmos and everything, is so important. It's not just that, that there's this grand mystical uh, uh, solar system mentality that I'm talking about. It's, it's way much more personal, intimate, and bigger than that. You are part of God's perfect creation. You are actually the center of God's perfect creation. So then what we're supposed to do is say, then God, help me to see it. Help me to live that way. Help me to think like this. Look, in Revelation 21, I've been talking about this scripture a little bit. I want to jump into it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Remember, the new Jerusalem is part of the new uh, earth, but it's not, the, it's not the whole thing. Then he begins to describe the new Jerusalem. And he talks about the gates and all the other stuff. But remember, that's only part of the new earth. It's one city within the new earth. What we do in our brains is we say that heaven has gates of pearl and streets of gold and all that kind of stuff. I struggle when we define it that way, because I don't think that's what Scripture is saying. I think the new Jerusalem has streets of gold and, and gates of pearl and stuff like that. But there's a lot more than just Jerusalem. There's a heavens. What is the heavens right now? So far out there, we can't even see. We don't even know. There's, there's, there's an expanse to this that we can't even fathom it so big. That's part of the new that God's going to do also. The new heavens and the new earth. The earth is a small part of all of this thing, but he's going to create that again too. And then he says um, that this new Jerusalem is coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. When's the last time we saw that? The garden. The last time we saw God with his people on the old earth, the existing earth now, was when he had to kick him out of the garden. Don't you, don't you think that's not how God wanted this, the last thing to interact with us to be? Think about that statement. I've had that before. I've had this happen to me before. Lynn and I will get in an argument or something and she leaves and, and I have these moments after she's gone where I'm thinking, what if she has a car wreck? The last thing I said to her was, oh, yeah, well, you know, that's not, that's not what I wanted to end on. At least, at least be a little more intelligent with your comeback than that. But you ever had that thought before? Your, your kid leaves the house and, and, you know, Satan starts telling you something happened to your kid and you're, and you're thinking, well, the last thing I did was ground him and send him to bed last night kind of thing, right? The last thing God does with us is kick us out of the garden. In the physical sense, now he has spent a few thousand years in writing the Bible, trying to say, "Look, I still do love you, and I'm very proud of you, and I'm excited about who you are." But you got to do this my way. You didn't do good with that. Let's change that, right? And that what he's saying. The next time that he that we get to be interact with him, he's gonna he's gonna live with us again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I've made everything new. Now, are we new at that point? Yes. But aren't we still the same? Right? Aren't we still us? But we're also made new. So there's, there's a tension there. We're still us, but we're made new. New heavens and a new earth. Is that completely new? Well, the foundation of this thing still exists, and he still calls it heaven and earth. So at some point, it is made new, but it's still the same also. It's the old, but made new. It didn't say made different. It said made new. This is the concept of salvation that's so important. We're still the same people, but we've been created new inside. We've been washed and cleansed, and we are now a new person in Christ Jesus. But are we still the the same person? Yeah, we're still in this body. If going back to to what we were talking about earlier, being overweight or whatever, when you get saved, you're still overweight, (laughs) right? You're still tall, short. You're still the same color you were. You still have the same hair color, whatever the case. You're just new now. And we understand what that means. That's hard to describe sometimes, isn't it? But we know what that means. I'm new. I'm new inside. I'm not necessarily new outside, although I would say when, when you come across Christians, um, they, they start to look different after a while too. I know, I know, and I don't think it's necessarily just physicalness, but there's something about the Spirit of God within a person that makes them look different at some level, even, kind of thing. So, so, um, so now let's go back again to John 3.16. For God so loved everything that He created, that he sent Jesus to put this thing back together. He really misses the connection. He misses the, the beautifulness of creation. But he's also doing this with us constantly. Every time we conceive in child, we're co-creating. Every time we do something, we're co-creating. Every time we make something, we're co-creating. There's, there's um, Linda watches these cooking shows all the time, baking shows and all this. And, and there's something about this that's interesting to me. You take this cook that has made 500 cakes. And then you put them on a cooking show and say, I want you to make cake, but change one ingredient. And all of a sudden there's pressure and stress and all this other kind of stuff, and it doesn't come out right or whatever. Because why? It's not not actually something until you make it something. And you can not do well with that. You can do well. You cannot do well. And there is this creativeness that God gives us to do stuff. Have you ever met somebody that just can decorate uh, just better than other people? They look at a room, and they do that, and you're like, that's awesome. You look at the room, you do that, and you're like, that's nah, not so good. You, we, we can name stuff all day long that shows this, this supernaturalness of God that can, they can get in there and do things, and do things with us. And we go, hopefully what you say is, God, thank you for letting me be a part of this. He's going to create the new heavens and the new earth. And we're going to get to be a part of this. And it's going to be more amazing than anything we see right now. But when we see it, we're going to still recognize what we know now. And we're going to see the the difference between what sin did with what we are a part of now and what what, what can be created without sin completely. And it's going to be very majestic to us to see the difference in those two. The same thing that God can see on the inside right now, we can see a little bit when somebody gets saved, we're going to see in perfection when we step into eternity of what God can do with us when there's no sin. And I don't mean just what we look like. I'm saying for the next two million years, when we're ruling and reigning with Him, when we're walking with Him and all kinds of things, when we're doing the stuff that He's created us to do. I can't wait to to pick up a guitar in, in eternity, whatever that is, and play a guitar in eternity. Because there's a few things that are going to be different. I'm going to be in my perfected self, not tainted by sin, limitedness, or whatever the case is. The guitar is going to be perfect. And you're not going to need sound systems. And it's going to be amazing. My voice will actually be like Russ Taft's voice. Maybe with a little Matthew Ward thrown in there. You guys know who Matthew Ward is? I heard Matthew Ward lives here in Colorado Springs. That that he goes to Springs Church and leads worship there sometimes. Or sings there sometimes. Makes you want to go there, doesn't it? No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Makes me maybe just visit. He's one of my favorite singers too. Um, Something about his voice is always powerful. So that's what it's going to be is this perfection. That The best voice that we can give Pavarotti, the best voice on this planet, is nothing compared to what everybody's voice is going to be like when we get to eternity. That's going to be powerful. All the different things that are us, that the, the shackles are going to be thrown off and we're going to be perfected and we get to be the way God designed us to be. That's pretty amazing in my opinion. Tom. yeah and decisions that you make according to that yeah yeah that's good yeah that's a very good point Tom all these things are are what's important, and all the and those are not important in today's society, and all the other stuff is important in today's, yeah. today's society- yeah yeah. which has got to be part of that sentence that says that the first will be last and the last will be first that we just don't understand it the way that it is we just don't get it the way that it is so, alright so with all this said um, yeah, I've got a couple more scriptures but we'll do those next week so because um, I want to go, go back to looking at some of the places in Scripture where the word world is, is planet and the word world is cosmos. Remember what I was talking about last week, and I think this is really cool, where it talks about that, that um, well, I'll, I'll start down too far, much of a road by doing that. So how are we going to pray about this? How are we going to pray? You're saying right now, and this is something in my heart is clicking here. This is what, this is what I think God is saying to me uh, right now or pushing you toward or something. Yeah, that's yeah, I would like to make that dual. I I think it starts with us first. I think it's important that you see how God sees you. Get a glimpse of that wonderful specialness that is you. That God designed that you. And stop worrying about how the world looks at this. Stop worrying stop worrying about how whether you fit into what somebody else would think is special. that, That doesn't matter. What matters is that God made you, and He said, this is good. You look in the mirror and say, this is good. Start there, and then the very next step should be, and I think this is good too, is to start looking at others and think about them like that. It's important to look at other people and say, God made them, and it's good. Even if you don't think He did a good job with them, you're not the judge. God, God did something pretty cool when he made them. Look at people that way and see it that way, that we are, we are made in the image of God, and he's really cool with this. He's really excited about bringing us back into perfection, but not necessarily physical. That's always the way I hear about it when people say, especially when they're getting older, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven, these knees will work again. Say, I get that. I totally get that. But you realize that's really small in comparison to us seeing ourselves spiritually perfected, our giftings perfected, our cognitive sense perfected. Wow. How cool is that going to be? So, so I think both of those are important in the prayer process. Jacob Yeah, and and to pray that somehow God opens our eyes to see it, you know that when we start to do something, even if it's something that's routine that we do regular basis, we can still say, God, what, what are you wanting to do here? How are you wanting to do this? Give me inspiration. Give me direction. Give me wisdom. Something, or maybe stepping out into your day that you have to do things that are not done yet. A business deal or an or a interaction with a person, a counseling or something where you're saying, God, I need supernatural intervention, wisdom, direction, leading, so that when I, when I put my hands, my mind, my mouth, something, my brain to this, that it really does represent you. If God's part of this creating process with us, it shouldn't be junk when we're done, right? And at least, even if it's junk, because sometimes I can't help it with some things I try, but But even if it's not so great, you still gave it your everything when you did it. Because God's doing that with you. And we can pray that way. We can think that way and ask God to help us with this. I want to represent you, God. I don't want to just do this. I don't want to just do a job and walk away. You know, people talking about being perfectionists. That's not a bad thing for the most part. Sometimes perfectionists can be so anal about it that it's really their self-pride that's getting in the way now. That's different. But being a perfectionist, say, God, I'm not going to just give halfway here. I'm going to give my best. That's important in all circumstances. Right? yeah yeah i I pick on um some of our older crowd around here on a regular basis with this i think I think the amazingness that some of our older crowd has with wisdom and understanding um sometimes more patience sometimes you get less patient as you get older at some things but but just the wisdom and what you can bring to the table, but there's this mentality in the Christian world that well when i get and I know that that sometimes the church tries to push the older crowd out or to the side. That's not healthy either. But sometimes the older crowd is saying, "Well, I'll let the younger people do it." I get this on the board. Sometimes older people in our church get nominated, and they say, "Well, I want some of the younger people to do this." We don't need a board of just younger people. We need older people too. We don't need a board of just men. We need women too. It has to be all, why because we all have this within us. Don't use excuses. Well, you know, I'm kind of retiring. God didn't retire. He rested one day, and he got back in it. And he's still doing it. Don't retire. Do, do. Now, sometimes retiring from your job gives you more opportunity to do. Um, but do, do stuff. Get involved. Create with God. Have Bible studies. Mentor people. Do stuff. Older, younger, whatever. Do stuff. Do it for God. With God. So yeah, that's solid, Jacob. And we pray God help us with that. All right. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, truly giving us this amazing thing we call life and uh, that we have such a small window to to, to get involved and to get engaged and to, to let you guide and lead. And God, you've given us so many gifts and abilities and talents. And God, I believe that me and every one of us in here, we don't even know all the, the wonderful things that you've designed us with. We, we only use some of them. We only... We only investigate some of them. God, open our mind and our spirit to see how big you really are, what you're trying to do with us. Help us to see ourselves the way you want us to be seen. Help us to see others the way you want them to be seen. God, help us to see that this creativeness, this co-creativeness in our world in our life every day, that we don't take any day for granted and just go through motions. But God, we look to how we can connect with you. Show us these things. Open our spirit up for it. Help us to see and to... To investigate and to wonder and to think big and to hope and all the, all the stuff. God help us to to not get caught up in in just just the the normalcy and the routine of life and the laziness of life and the and the low expectations of life. God help us to always be stretching out there, to see you to see how big you are and to do big things. God, we pray this. We pray this for your glory ultimately, but also for us because it's cool and you've designed us this way, and we want to do. We want to do fun stuff and neat stuff and exciting stuff along with you and to feel your spirit and your hand working with us. God, we pray that, that we would just, just start from just the way we perceive you and perceive ourselves in this big picture. We thank you with this. God, do stuff with us, and we want to do stuff with you. We thank you, Lord God. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. We have a, a very special guest speaker this weekend that you don't want to miss. It's not me. I'm not saying that so you'd be like, ah, and show up, and it's just me. Uh, we do. We have, we have something very special uh, happening this weekend. It's, it's big time. I, I'm, I feel like I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. I'm not. I promise you. Something is happening this weekend you're going to really like. I'm not speaking this weekend. Um, there's something really cool that we're going to be doing this weekend, and you won't want to miss it. So, no, no, Linda's not speaking. I would like for her to more. How many of you would like for Linda to speak more often around here? I can't hardly get her to. She only wants to speak on Mother's Day, and that's because I beg her. Do you, are you acting like that's not true, Linda? You would speak more? You, you're saying it out loud? Say it out loud out of your mouth. Yeah, I would speak more. Say it out loud. I want to hear it come on. I want to hear the words. I would speak more if you asked me. If you asked me to. Okay, are right, you guys heard it. That is not, that is not true what she just said. Okay, we'll see you guys Sunday morning. Men's breakfast Saturday morning. Listen to the
1: trumpet of Jesus while the world hears a different sound. a whole world of diff so the world seems indifferent to you His melody of love calls you to be great when marking time is all you thought you could do So if you've been playing all the days by year never knowing what your song